This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. There, there may well be some more people trickling in, um, but we're going to start anyway, otherwise we'll be sitting here all afternoon waiting. Okay, so we, we're going to do a little series for the next three afternoons on leadership of, of very differing types. So today we're going to look at leadership in the church. Tomorrow we're going to look at leadership in governance, i.e. trustees and directors, for those of you involved in that. And on Sunday, working at leadership in the workplace. So today we have two eminent church leaders with us who are going to be doing the speaking. And so the, the question I posed was, uh, eldership, dictating or fathering? So we're going to look at fathering today. What does it mean to father? What does it mean for apostolic ministry to father churches and church leaders? What does it mean for leaders to father people in the church? So that's what we're looking at this afternoon, and Lee is going to kick us off. Well, good afternoon. It's great to be here, and thank you for coming on such a lovely day outside, so that's good. So you probably know who I am. I'm Lee. I live in Mexico, Been there for 34 years, going on 35. I set out from Mexico when I was 25 years of age. Uh, So we've been there ever since. Since that time, we've had four kids be born, three grandchildren. And just a week before I went to Africa, which I went, I left for Africa on the 30th of July. About a week before that, actually three days before, I turned over the team in Mexico uh, to a younger leader, actually. Uh, and some younger people that, quote-unquote, we've been fathering or discipling for many years. So uh, that was actually a very good thing to do, and uh, it was something that was easier than I thought it would be to do. And they all appreciated the the way that we're moving forward, and that was, as well, uh, very encouraging to me. Uh, there was not any pushback or negative feelings, but they understood that it was time to make these changes, uh, which is great. Uh, that being said, when I was in Africa, I was, uh, I'd been in um, Zambia, then in Ghana. When I was in Ghana, I received an email or a note from the church that I originally was sent out from in Alaska, which this was years before I knew anything about New Frontiers. Again, we were sent out in 1985 from Alaska to go to Mexico. But my father in the faith has just passed away um, just a few weeks ago. And he was like 92 years of age. And I've always remembered him for many years. He was the one who laid hands upon us when we were sent out from this church in Alaska down to Mexico. I was a 25-year-old at the time. I'd only been married two years. We had a one-year-old child, which I say, don't ever do that. If you're thinking about going to ministry, don't do it that way. Uh, my wife says they're crazy to send us. I said, no, they were just full of faith. Um, but it was, yeah, and so we went on this journey. And I was discipled a lot by my brother as well, a real father to me as an older brother. And he, he said a, a couple of things to me. And one of the things that he said very early on, it's important to ask questions. So I try to encourage younger people uh, to, when they're around us to actually ask questions and not be a, a afraid to ask questions of older people. Uh, so if you're a little bit younger and you are being 
taught by others or fathered or whatever, it's important to ask questions uh, of those that maybe have a little bit more uh, experience in, than we did, especially at the time. So for me, what I would like to just share on for a while is Paul and Timothy, their relationship together. It's one of the classic relationships in Scripture. I believe it's very helpful for us as we talk about trying to raise up younger people and giving them a chance. One of the things that I've been saying for many years is that we have to let others have a chance, give them the opportunity. They will make some mistakes. Again, I've made many mistakes over the years, but there's been older people around to help me, to disciple me, to correct me and encourage and we need to do that uh, more and more all the time. So let's, I'm just going to read a few points about Paul and Timothy. And I've always put it down, I try to do it, um, put it in three points, okay? The first one being call. The second one would be kind of like theology. And the third point would be friendship. So I'll just pick up on what Paul is writing to Timothy in Second Timothy, uh, a very classic book. This is Paul, as you know, uh, if you read the Bible, you know this is Paul's last letter. He's writing from prison. He's writing to his son, Timothy, in the faith. And I think it's important to underline, I literally have many things underlined in this, in this book, underline certain points that Paul is just reminding Timothy of. And what Paul does in 1 Timothy, actually in 2 Timothy, he says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, and he says to Timothy, my dear son, in, other, in the other letter it says, my true son. Uh, it says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ. So one of the things that Paul obviously is saying to Timothy, he identifies who he was and why he was who he was. It was by God's will. It was by God's call. God had called him to be an apostle. It wasn't anything on his own, but it was you know, the, what God had given him to do. And one of the first things that he's remembering or reminding, sorry, uh, Timothy to remember is the fact that he was gifted to do what Paul is asking him to do. I think younger leaders, when you're fathering younger leaders, they need to be encouraged because there's a lot of, I don't know, in your, your situation, I'm speaking on behalf of myself and what some things I've learned over the years, is many times over the years I've questioned my calling. If you're in Mexico, for example, cross-cultural experience, and you've got to learn language, culture, and all these things, we do church planting, you have to hold on to what calls, God's called you to do and to be. Because there will be times of hardship, there will be difficult seasons, there will be times of doubt, there will be times when things don't go as planned, uh, and you really need to know that God's called you to do what you're actually doing. So Paul always remembered that. He knew who he was by God's grace. Uh, and he's, he's reminding Timothy about this. He says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, okay, which is given to you or in you through the laying out of my hands. Many people, and I like to say this, I'm not saying you do this, but I've heard so many people crying out to God, God, fan into the, fan in the flame the gift. It doesn't actually say that in Scripture, He's telling Timothy to attend to what's inside of him already. You attend to what's in you and the gift of God that's in you. And that's what one of the first things I think we need to remind people, younger leaders, and what God's called them to do. He says to him in, in the first letter, watch your life and your doctrine closely. And it's kind of like take care of yourself 
uh, and your doctrine. Paul says it in Acts as well, but to, in, to the leaders in Ephesus when he's leaving. But he just says, watch yourself. Take care of yourself. And I think that's one of the things when we talk about longevity, we talk about younger people, uh, is to remind them the call of God and just help them remember who they are, what God's called them to be. And I think that's one of the best things that we can do for younger people. I felt called as a very young person to go to Mexico. I checked that with many people. I asked the older people around me. It was confirmed in different ways. And young people today, younger leaders uh, that we have, um, they are struggling with, with their identity and God, who they are, their gifts and all that. They're obviously in development, uh, but it's something that we try to help them uh, do. So calling, I would say, is one of the most important things to remind younger people about. God's called you to this, and it's not that you can do it, but rather there is a gift in you that God is giving you, and you, you need to attend to that or tend to that, uh, to what God's given you, and you help them with it. Okay. The second thing, like I mentioned, is theology. Um, and it says, in, there's different texts about this. You know, he speaks about the Word of God. And it's in the context of people that there's false teachers, there's others that have been like gangrene, they're teaching. It says their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus and all that who have wandered away from the truth. But he says, you flee all these things. And he says, you remember something. And he, what he says, he says, you, however, he speaks them this way, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, and all these other things. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of because you know those from whom uh, you've learned it. So what Paul is referencing here is something that had already happened. This isn't some kind of a, just a concept for him to try to get a hold of. He's reminding Timothy, Timothy, you have been with me. The question that I always ask other leaders, how many times as older leaders, okay, I'm 60, if you want to know how old I am, 60, um, how many people do we have travel with us or younger people around us or are we doing that, giving them a chance to preach on Sundays, uh, giving them a chance to give testimonies it's in the right context and all of that? Have they seen us? I believe in transparency. One thing about Mexico, you're all invited to Mexico. This weather that's out there is kind of like winter weather. Um, so it's, we have nice weather in Mexico. Um, we have great food as well. But the thing is, is when you're, do, do we really allow people to have a chance with us? And are, are, they, are they accompanying us in what we're doing? Do they see us? Is there transparency? And I, I think that um, one of the best things we can do is have people in our homes. We can be in their homes. They can travel with us at times, not every time they can. And they can actually see us in action. So, for example, we have four boys, as I mentioned. They're older now. But, you know, we struggled with our kids just like anybody else. And you deal and you wrestle with real-life issues. So, for me, my context in which I live is very much uh, opened. It's very much transparent. It's very much we're together. Mexico's very relational. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so, we... We, we try to have a good time. But he reminds Timothy, he says, you have already seen this. Again, Paul's in prison. He says, Timothy, remember your calling. Remember, guard the good deposit that's within you and all that. Be strong in grace and all those things. And he says, you know all about my teaching. 
You've heard me. You've been with me. You've seen me in the midst of persecution. You've seen how I've responded in times of suffering. For example, the other day in Africa, uh, it was just the other day, um, actually, um, we were sitting having a debriefing meeting in Ghana. And actually, I wanted to say something. So I started to say something. Somebody else at the table, it wasn't Jeremy or Ann. There was somebody else there. And they kind of interrupted me. And I just went, I said, can I just finish? And I was tired. It was at the end of a trip. And I thought, oh, that was so bad to say that. Um, So I had to apologize and ask for forgiveness. That being said, though, people there watch somebody say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I was wrong. I kind of snapped at you there. Those little things. There's many things like that that I think people can learn from. So he says, you know my way of life. You know my teaching, my my way of life. Uh, Purpose, faith, what drove Paul, what made him just tick, what he was all about, what he's given himself to. Um, and he says, continue in these things that you've learned. Okay. Now, the thing about having good theology, where I live especially, and where some of the, the other people that are in this conference live, not even in the UK, they have the same problems in a different way. There's suffering in, in the country in which I live. There's a lot of injustice. There's corruption. Uh, the narco world is very much alive and well. Uh, where I live right now in the state that I'm in, it's the most violent one in the country. So p- pray for us, please. So they have at least 90 murders every day in the state in which I live. Um, so, yeah. So you see these things and you live in the midst of a lot of these things. My wife works a lot with marginalized kids that just don't have a chance. Their parents are not even anywhere around. So we have ministry with them. We have people live in the desert on these high mountains. We have people in the big cities. And you see suffering. And you see people die, for example, just because they have lack of access to good medical facilities or, or medicine. If they would have had medicine at the right time, they might have survived. They die from diabetes because they don't have enough for the insulin, things like that. So when you have good theology about, for example, the sovereignty of God, and you can say God heals, which we do, but do you have a theology for when God doesn't heal? Or why is there suffering in the world? Uh, I just did a seminar on that in Bolivia not too long ago. Why is there suffering? Because people suffer in Bolivia. So theology isn't only about having a good theology, and I'm, I'm not saying anything negative. This is actually a, just a comment. It's good to have a theology, theology about going to the nations, and we're going to the nations, and we're planting churches, right? But there's this whole context of called life that everybody lives in. You know, I'm a, I have the, the, the benefit of being a church leader, uh, doing this apostolic stuff that we do. Uh, but not many people do that. And the majority of people, even the churches in Mexico, our leaders are working full-time. And so they're living in a different world than I do in the sense of the church bubble. Um, and so they need to understand theologically what the issues are. And I think Paul is actually appealing to Timothy, saying, this has already happened. You've already seen me. You've already heard me. You've seen how I've done it. Now you need to do that and give it over to faithful men, okay? People that are actually men and women, people that are actually hungry, they actually want to learn. And that's one of the things that I do with younger people trying to be a father to them because in the context in which we live now in Mexico, it didn't used to be this way. It's the way it is now in a lot, uh, many parts of the world, is younger people don't come from strong families. So, for example, my, in my, I was never a church leader. I never thought I'd be a church leader. I was a rebel, I was a drug person, I was, you know, 
wild when I was growing up. My parents divorced, my mom was an alcoholic, all that kind of stuff, so I was kind of left on my own. So I wasn't really fathered by anybody at all when it comes to fathering of, or a father figure. Maybe that's why in the church, certain men and women, for that matter, became a mom and dad to me. And I was talking to somebody we did, I'm in Roger and Cheryl's um, life zone about marriage. Um, I was there today and a guy asked a question. And one of the things I said to him at the end was, is that people in the church, younger couples, need mom and dad. And he goes, yeah, I think so. I said, we can't always wait for the church to have a program for that. But if, you, if that's on your heart, you need to do that. Ha have them in your home. Take, notice them. Take time to be with them. They're young couples. They have young kids. And I don't know how many young couples would be trying to plant churches and stuff. Uh, they got kids. There's a lot of... Uh, struggles or a lot of challenges that they have or they start out and they don't have kids and then they start having kids like in our case so all these kinds of issues I believe are really important for younger people to have because we need to realize that the younger people aren't necessarily coming all the time from a, a good mom and a good dad full of faith and godly parents uh, anymore even in Mexico um, that is all broken down so when they come into the church, they're bringing all kinds of issues. So we have to really be a father to them in a, in a real kind way, hopefully with the grace of God and the things that we've learned. So he's telling them this. It's his calling. It is about theology. And then he finishes up his letter, um, which I would say there's, there's many things that he says to him. You know, we could be here most of the afternoon. He talks about, you know, keeping your head in all situations then he starts saying, you know, I'm going I'm to die now. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, okay, and time has come for my departure. And one of the things that I want to do with my life, with God's help, is be able to say, like Paul does, because these are as his last words. So if you knew you were going to die soon, what would your last words be, and to whom would you write them? See, when people are going to pass on, I don't, I don't have parents. They died years ago. My stepmom died a year ago. My wife's family died many years ago. So we've been without parents for a long time. But one thing that's kind of common that I've noticed anyway, in all cultures and contexts, is when it's time for somebody to go, and they know they're going to go, not by an accident, but they're a long-term illness, they want the people that they love close by. It's, it's about people. They want the closest ones they love to be there. And that's why family comes if they can, and they're there, and then they say, well, he died peacefully or she died peacefully, um, because they want the people that they love and they've given their lives to, uh, to be there. So in Paul's case, he's appealing to his son in the faith, my true son. You know, Paul didn't have kids. This is his real-life son for Paul. And he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. You know, and I think we, as we get older... I want to be a person still willing to take risks in a good way and take new steps of faith to hopefully inspire younger people that are coming behind me. Because I say, well, if he's still willing to do it, that will inspire me. I believe young people need to be inspired to do some things in God still. Um, and, you know, I'm saying this on my behalf. You know, you can, or I could think, I think I could, you know, um, just kind of say, okay, it's been really good. I'm 60, you know, pretty soon I can get a pension. Maybe it's time just to start, you know, forget going to Africa, forget going to Mexico, forget going to Bolivia, Peru, all these places, forget going to England. And just kind of, <laughs> just kind of, yeah. But there's something in me that says, no, I want to keep going. 
and I want to keep doing what God's called me to do as long as I have good health and stuff like that. But also I want to inspire people that I'm encouraging to plant churches. And I'm trying to tell them, yeah, great, plant a church. But I need to keep going and taking steps with them to do that so they will be inspired and hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll do that and they'll plant churches, which I think they are in Mexico actually right now. Um, but Paul said he was, he was finished and he finished well. See, I don't want to just start out well, but I think it's important to finish well. So I think it's important for younger people to see older leaders finish without, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't preach in, or speak in English very much. I'm thinking in Spanish. Uh, amargados, without being bitter. I think too many leaders sometimes towards the end, they become bitter. They become a little bit, meh, and they complain and they fall out with people and then they kind of just fizzle out. I don't want to be like that. So I want to make sure that I try to take care of myself in a way, watch your heart, you know, and your doctrine. Not just doctrine, but actually take care of yourself. So that the other people that are coming behind, they can say, like my, my father in faith who just died three weeks ago or whatever, he finished well. He didn't get bitter. He, he made it, and he wasn't complaining. I just saw him in May. I was with him. That's why I went to Alaska. Um, that's where he was at in Alaska. And I prayed with him. He cried left and he goes so proud of you you've done such a great job you know and it meant something it really meant something to me and so this is Paul when he's all said and done he gives I just put it you know his whole letter is about personal remarks but he says do your best to come to me quickly Timothy if you can make it because winter was coming on and he says he, he starts mentioning some people that had served him well and others that hadn't but then he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. You know, and he's, he starts going through a list of people, just talking to Timothy about it. And he says, you too should be on your guard against this other person because he strongly opposed our message. And he goes on, he says, greet at the very end Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. And he says, Erastus stayed in Corinth. And he's mentioning all these people. He says, try to get here before winter. I need my cloak. It's cold. You know, I want my scrolls, bring those with you, you know. And then at the very end, it says, may the Lord be with your spirit, grace with you, grace be with you. And I just think for me, and I'm a pretty simple guy, actually. Um, I try to put things just in a few bullet points, really. But he knew, Paul did, everything about Timothy. And what Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you know everything about me. So even Timothy, you know, had stomach problems. I don't know if you remember that part. He tells him, drink a little bit of wine. You know, for his, for his stomach's sake, you know, um, and the illness that he had. Um, and I just, for me, I don't think it's very difficult to father other people. What it boils down to, and this is the best theological point I have, have time for people. All you got to do is have some time, you know. And that's, I say that kind of facetiously about the best theological point, but actually it's really true. Jesus had time. Jesus took time to be with his disciples. He took time to be away. And he talked to them. Jesus, as one of the, well, I would say, the best teacher ever. You know, I didn't think he was lacking in any communication skills. I think he was pretty on his game. But I just love it when he talks about a parable of seeds and stuff. They go away and they say, hey, you know, Jesus, that was brilliant. Like the you know, English say, amazing. It's brilliant. And he's, they said, but... Could you explain that one more time? Because we just really didn't get it. I mean, you can see it in these disciples, you know. And he's, he's picked this team, which actually is very dysfunctional. 
they had issues. They're competitive. They're seen as going to be the best. You know, they're a little bit aggressive. Peter's wanting to chop off ears. It's just like, it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic of team. And he'd spent three and a half years with them, and they still don't get some things. They didn't get that he still had to suffer the cross. Peter says he's going to be with him till the end. He goes, no, you're going to deny me. These guys had some real-life issues. So if they did, I assume that anybody working with me or around us, they have issues that they're dealing with, and we do too. But one thing that Jesus did have was time. He spent time with them. He stayed with them. They observed him. They watched him. They watched exactly like Paul. They heard his teaching. They watched how he confronted opposition. They saw him go to the cross, even though they abandoned him at the time. They saw him, you know, just say, will you teach us to pray? You know, and I just think that there's so many things that we are trying to do with program after program after program, which aren't, the programs are fine, but I think it's sharing life together, which is the most important. So like I said, to finish up, I have my four boys, and I've, I made, I've made some mistakes along the way with my boys. They're all believers and stuff, but... Um, I was too harsh with my kids because I was a legalist many years ago. And I lament the fact that I was, but I realized later on in life the reason why I was such a legalist uh, towards them is because I was afraid that they were going to turn out like me when I was a young person. God spoke to me one day about that. So I was, so instead of, I actually was teaching them law, external controls, instead of grace inside that would teach them and, and continue to guide them. And so for that reason, when they're a lot younger and still at home, they weren't very expressive with me. They kind of were afraid of their dad because of what they get criticized or I discipline or I tell them they couldn't go out or something like that. Later on, thankfully, God shows us some grace and helps us to understand and you become more graceful and more of a dad uh, with them and for them. And so now some of the best days that I ever have my oldest sons, I got boys that are 35, 32, 30, and 25. Um, two of them are, are married. Um, three grandkids, like I said. But the best days are when they say, hey, Dad, can I ask you a question? What do you think about this? Nice guy. They think I have something to say now after all these years, um, which, is a, which is a good thing. And now it is Dad. And my nephew, he... Um, I was, I'm a sports guy. I've been a sports guy all my life. And I play golf. I'm not a very good golfer, but I like to play golf. And so for my 60th birthday, we had a family reunion with everybody. And we're playing golf. And I had my boys with me. And my nephew gave me the best comment ever. He's got two, two little kids. He says, you know, Uncle, he goes, I hope one day that I can be doing this with my kids like you're doing it with yours. And I thought, he's picked up on something about dad and kids. And I think that's got to be in the church to where we can be with people and they can just be around us, eat with us, see all these things, and we can encourage them in their calling. Make sure you know what the Bible says because today, today, unfortunately, you guys are way better theologically than we are in Mexico, generally speaking, uh, but young people don't read. There's not a lot of reading, you know, um, anymore. And so they are going off a lot of emotion and passion. We're very passionate. We're a Latin country, so there's a lot of passion. But they're not going off a lot of good theology at times. And they say things, I say, well, where, where do you come up with that biblically, scripturally? I challenge them. Well, you know where it says, I said, it doesn't say that. I said, go back 
and study your, your Bible a bit, and then we'll talk about it. One example of that is the fact that we had a serious situation with a young couple in one of our churches. He was actually an up-and-coming leader, did a lot of um, like Amplify events and young people's events, and he ended up getting divorced and had a terrible time. That young guy with a new relationship is trying to get into one of our churches where we have our youngest leaders pastoring right now. And they've talked to me about this. Well, he's our friend. And I said, fine. What do you believe that the Bible teaches, for example, the issue of divorce and remarriage? And they go, well, well we think this. I said, you need to go back and study it. And we will talk about it, which I just did before I went out to Africa too with these guys. I told them you need to do a study because you will actually, at one point, this guy, your friend, is probably going to ask you to marry him. And you better be able to say yes based on something or no based on something because it's an issue. So if there's little things like that that you challenge guys on and talk to them about. And uh, so anyway, those are my three points. Call, theology, and friends. You need good friends to the end. People that you can live with and cry with and that know everything about you. I got guys like that. Um, some are here you know, today at this conference and stuff. I got guys in Mexico. Um, so, yeah, that's what I have to say for this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks. I'm going to pick up, actually, on that, just on that point that uh, Lee's finished with, with that. You need time with people. Um, for the answer, if you haven't picked it up already from what Lee was saying, is father, not dictator. That was, the, that was what I was giving. Is, is eldership dictator or father? Okay, the answer is father. And fa- the interesting picture of father is fathers are not exceptional. Fathers are exemplary, not exceptional. I think that's a good point. Elders aren't exceptional you know you go into any house every other house with a father in this country and you find world's best dad mug you think wow you are the world's best dad i found the world's best dad no you're not there are hundreds millions of these world's best dads because actually fatherhood isn't exceptional it's an eldership isn't we're not looking at exceptional people we're looking at people who are going to be examples for what everybody's meant to be. When you read what an elder is, you're not thinking, wow, how will we ever find this? This is just, is meant to be common, but an example. And fathering, a father is like that. Um, we, I have three boys, and one of those is about to be a father. Come the, By the end of January, he'll be a father, I will be a grandfather. And you think, wow, how did I produce somebody who can be a father. Actually, it's, it's a normal thing. It just happens. It's not exceptional. So we're not striving for something that is totally supernatural here. The picture of fathering is something that is meant to be, hey, this is, this is attainable. This is, we understand this. So when Paul is saying, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you don't have many fathers, he's not, I, I don't think he's, bemoaning even the lack of fathers necessarily he's just making the very obvious point is that all of us have one father so he's he's arguing for his case i'm your father 
You may have all these other people, all these other voices, and this is true in all our churches. Loads of voices, loads of heroes, loads of paperback writers, loads of people who are streaming in on Facebook truths and having influence. But actually, we do need to make that point. But you you don't have many fathers. We need fathers around. We do need... And parenting is such a beautiful picture because of that thing. It's something we all understand. It's not exceptional. And maybe the biggest difference between that dictator, parent, mum and dad picture is is that idea, who's, who's serving who in this? Where is the... What's the dynamic there in service? And Paul is very clear on that when he's talking... But actually, I came to serve you. Again and again, he says, I was never a burden to you. It's interesting, when he's in that Acts 20 passage, when he's talking to the elders in Ephesians, from Ephesus, it's there that he says, it's better to give than receive. It's interesting, we use that sometimes as if it's about money. It's not about money, it's about leadership. It's about where, what's the, what's the flow of giving and service here? Because so often, even though we may tick the box, we know the answer is fathering, often leadership is about calling people to come and serve me and do what I'm doing. We were saying, even uh, Graham was just saying, a number of times he's been to prayer meetings and it tends to all be about what the church is doing and there are people there who have these magnificent ministries outside the church. Actually, as parents in the church, as leaders in the church, we're there to serve the people. Jesus made that clear. He kind of, he tells the, when he's talking in Matthew, when he's talking about who's the greatest, because they're talking about who's the greatest, and he brings a child there. And he says, if you want to be great, you've got to become a, a, a child. To be great in the kingdom is to be the servant of all. And that's where, in Matthew, that's where he tells the story of the, the good shepherd, which is interesting. In Luke, it's very clearly, it's Jesus. It's him explaining why he has come to, why he, he is with sinners. And he's answering the Pharisees who are muttering among themselves, why is he with sinners? He says, let me tell you something about what God is like. And he, a good a shepherd goes and leaves the 99. In Matthew, he's talking about the church, actually. leaders. It's what leadership is like in the church. It lays down its life for the people. And so that kind of, that's, that is a big theme right throughout the scripture is leadership being like shepherding. In the church in Muscat, we are going to do a series for our leaders um, right across the church, leadership in all different capacity, just looking at good shepherds, because it's a huge uh, theme right through scripture, right from Genesis, Yes, and it's interesting how many shepherds there were. So Abraham, a shepherd. Isaac, a shepherd. Jacob, a shepherd. Joseph, a shepherd. Moses, a shepherd. David, a shepherd. The picture of God as shepherd. And then the picture of leaders as shepherd is there right through the Old Testament and obviously into the New. And the prophets, particularly in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, coming against the leaders because they were bad shepherds. And the the, the greatest thing they could say against the shepherds is that you are not feeding the sheep. You're, you are being fed on the sheep. In fact, you're eating the sheep. 
Now, that must be shepherding 101, is don't eat the sheep. Have you eaten any sheep? But you think, wow, it's funny. But actually, it's scarily not funny when we come into church that actually the, the movement of service seems to be the people are serving the ministry. Which is, how can that be? Because ministry actually means service. I have a ministry. Will you give to my ministry? That's horrendous. You're eating the sheep. And so the whole picture of fatherhood and parenting is that, no, we, we aren't competing. Fathers don't compete with their sons. Mothers don't compete with their daughters. I mean, they might pretend to at times. But actually, no dad is saying, as their son takes their first step, no, son, no father says, call that walking. I've done the Pennine way, me. <laughs> call that walking. Pathetic. You're there. You're on the floor. You should see what I've done. I'll show you the photographs. No, fathers don't do that. Fathers go, did you see what she did? That's what fathers, that's what parent comes in. Siblings do compete. But parents delight in the success of their children. We're looking, that's what Jesus is saying. This is what I want. I want you. It's funny, isn't it? He says, I want you to be like children. But actually, the picture of a shepherd is the picture of a father, mother, who's laying down their life for their children. So Paul makes that clear. It's in, with his relationship with the Corinthian church is interesting that he has to argue for his own fatherhood. And so you have those passages where they're kind of awkward, aren't they? Where he's pushing himself forward and then putting himself back because he's a bit awkward and then embarrassed, but having to make the point. And he, he makes the point. It's in, so I quoted 1 Corinthians, the beginning of 1 Corinthians, where he says, you haven't got many fathers, but I'm a father. And then at the end of 2 Corinthians, so it's been one of the big themes right through both those letters, he says, Look, I'm coming for, it's the first, third time I'm ready to come to you. This is verse 14 of chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians. I will not be a burden for you, for I did not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. See, the... The flow is to be from parents to children, not from children to parents. That's what the point he's making. It's this shepherding point that is there throughout Scripture. You're there to feed the sheep, not to be fed by the sheep. You're there to care for them, not for them to care for you. Paul says, I've never been a burden to you. It's better to give, he says to leaders. It's better to give than receive. So we're looking for people to be like that in our local churches. People who have got this, I am here for your success rather than you being here for my success. We do want leaders who serve because that's great to serve. But we have to make sure we're saying to people, come alongside and serve with me in this situation. We used to have stories a long time ago. I remember when people suddenly realizing to be trained to be a leader is trained to serve. And you'd hear stories about, yeah, I get all the people who are, I'm training as leaders, they come and wash my car. And I get them to do this for me. And 
yeah, we're wanting to train them to serve, but not to get the impression that, well, when I've passed, then everybody serves me. No, come and serve with me. Come, I'm going to go and serve here. Come with me and serve. So how, how we're looking for other mums and dads in the church. And obviously, if we have lots of mums and dads in our local church, then actually looking for eldership is much easier. But we're looking for lots of mums and dads in our church. People who've got this in mind, I'm here for other people's success. I'm supporting them. I want them to, be, to go further than me, them to go faster than me, them to achieve more than I have. Because parents are happy to do that. Brothers and sisters don't rejoice in that quite so much, right? They kind of wanting, there is competition there. We talk about sibling rivalry, but not with parents and children. So we're looking for parents in the church and we're thinking, well, how, how are we going to get that? And like I say, we've got a son who's, who's going to be a parent. And you think, well, actually, it's, it just happens naturally. It does happen and maybe the issue is more, is kind of, will be, this is the way, you are and you do a lot. Sorry? You are the thing that you want to see. So you are the one who is serving. And you are the one who is looking for other people's success. You are the one who's got this convinced in my mind. It's, it's, it's more blessed to give than receive. Because in the end, maturity is the goal. We're wanting to see people come to maturity. And actually, as people come to maturity, they will become parents. Okay? If you can get them to survive, they will become parents. It's a natural thing. But then the type of parent they will be will be very much like you've been. You do reproduce. You reproduce because, you know, our sons have... No choice about it. They do look like their mum and dad. That is their great blessing and destiny that they have in front of them. But also they, they copy. Children copy. And so we want to be, if you are what you want to see, you will see it. It just is one of the dynamics that's at work in parenting. Be what you want to see. So it is true what you see in the leadership in the church, you will see in the church. And what is here, you will see in the leadership of the church. This is just a dynamic. You can't get away from it. Which is why parenting fathers, mothers is such a good picture and why it's so important that we have time with people because your sons and your daughters know you very well. They just do know you very well. You can't just pretend. It's not just an hour and a half, is it, on a Sunday. They see what you're like Monday evening. They see you and they know what you're like. So Paul's able to say, whatever you've seen in me, put into practice. We have to be people like that. We, you know, Philippians, in the book of Philippians, the great example, obviously, is Jesus you know, be of his mind, who in very nature of God did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. That's the great example. But Paul is also happy to say, whatever you've seen in me, put it into practice. And then he's able to say, I'm sending Timothy because I've got nobody like him who, what's his phrase about him? He considers others 
That's it. He's like me. So there's a, there has to be that. We, it isn't enough to put on a course to produce leaders. It's about, it's this dynamic of parenting of people who see what you're like and so put it into practice. That, that should be, um, how are we doing? Three things just on that process. I think part of that is having faith, having faith that that will happen. Okay? If it's just about how good I am at training people, then my faith level is going to be very low. But I have promises. Right? They go by right back to the Old Testament, which is when, when these prophets are saying about uh, prophesying against the shepherds of Israel, the leaders, and he's basically, I'm going to save my sheep from their shepherds. I'm going to say, step in and save them. And God says, I will shepherd them. I myself will shepherd them. And of course, Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd. But the other promise is, I will give them shepherds after my own heart. So God's promise is, I'm going to produce shepherds into my people who will shepherd them well. And of course, we see then the risen Savior, glorified, who sends these gifts. And one of those is shepherds. So in the ESV, it actually translates pastors, helpfully for us, as shepherds and teachers. It's what I'm going to do. So God, we, we, are, we lead the church. And if you're involved in leadership, you know, it's not wrong to feel it's mine. In this sense of I am so committed and I've laid down my life for these people. But when Peter's talking about shepherding, he says, just remember who they are. You're the shepherd of a people who've been bought by God by, at a great price. So these people who we're leading, they're gods, and he's promised to give them good shepherds. There's faith should stir with that. And faith should come thinking, well, God's going to provide, and God can use me. Faith comes by kind of remembering these things, who God is, what God's done. It's also held, stirred by remembering what you were like, you remember that you were, I remember when I knew everything, you know, and I'm confident in everything. And now you look at some people and you think, oh dear, and they think, no, I was like that. And look, God can use me and God can use them. So faith, believing, having, people love it when you have faith in them. Yeah, you can do it. That faith, we need faith. We find faith. Without faith, the whole thing's sin anyway. So we find faith. Because I find faith that God, in his grace, is going to give leaders, mums and dads, into his family for his glory. You know, we look at others, you can look at other churches and think, they've got so many good leaders. If God would give me a decent group of people, I'd be a great pastor. I'd be a great elder. But I've got this lot. But no, no, we find faith. You know, Abraham, you know, Abraham knew what his body was like, looked at Sarah and believed. And finding faith, God is able to do immeasurably more. So with the people we have, because he's using you as well. So finding faith. And just that, without love, it's all empty as well. So it's got to be done with love. We don't want to be using people. This sense of Pick them up, try them. Oh, that one doesn't seem to work. Cast them aside. Let's try another one. 
that people are just being used for something. No, we're shepherds who lay down their life and real love for the people. People know when they're loved and people know when they're being used. And Jesus demonstrates, this is what it is. This is love. Not that we loved him, but he loved us and gave him, gave his son, gave Jesus as a sacrifice. This is love. And so we love those who are in front of us that God has given. We lay down our lives for them. We're supporting them in what they're doing. We're there for their success. We're not just using them so that they can be, I think, oh, that's a rich person there. I think I might have a bit more time with them because they might be able to give to what we're doing. No, we are laying down our lives for what God, for the people and what God is wanting to do in each of their lives. And as we do that, naturally, there will be other mums and dads in the church. We will reproduce. I believe it in my heart. We, we don't use people. We don't eat the sheep. Okay, we are there to feed and for them to grow, and for them to feel safe, and them to be together, and for them to come to maturity. And then, I just think we should do it joyfully. I mean, nobody wants to... If you're miserable, nobody is going to want to do what you do. It just is naturally. How are things? Oh, it's so hard. Do you know it's so hard being leader? Do you want to be a leader? No, thanks. I'll give it a miss, actually. <laughs> We, can, we do it with joy. It is hard. We're laying down our life. But that actually, that's the call to follow Jesus, isn't it? Come and follow Jesus and die. I read, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. It's a great line, that. It is. That's the way. Come and follow Jesus. You take up your cross, which means you're going to die. So it's the same call as it is to be a Christian. Come and die. Why would anybody want to do that? Because... You're laughing as you say it. Because there's joy there. There's satisfaction. Sin's forgiven. The Spirit deposited. Fellowship with the Father through the Son. It, this is wonderful. Come. Come and die. And people come and, and taste. Come and taste it. It's good. And we do that in leadership as well, I think. We say, we're not saying, hey, it's wonderful, everybody serves you. No, you become the lowest and you wash everybody's feet. But, Jesus says, it is great. It's great. This is greatness in the kingdom to serve and to lay your life down for others. And that's the call. So Paul, when he's, he's writing from prison, and he, so it's not at the end, as Lee was saying, you know, when he actually knows he's going to die. But it's that, shall I live, shall I die? I think actually for your sake, it'll probably be good for me to live, so I'll live. You know, he's at that point, he's real suffering. I'm in prison again to the Philippians. He's in, it's from Paul. He's in prison again, you know. Oh, yeah, again. And there we are, they read. But it's a letter of joy. I rejoice every time I think about you. This joy, I must tell you, rejoice, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. It's no harm for me. It keep you safe. Rejoice. I'm full of joy. Come and rejoice. And to have leaders who are giving their lives for the people, who are laying their lives down, it's not in it for them. It's better to give than receive. I'm just giving. 
pouring out my life. My life is like drink offerings being poured out. But boy, come and join me doing this. It is great. It is great to spend yourself serving the people of God. And that means serving them wherever God has, whatever God has for them. I really wanted them to be the treasurer. (laughs) But they're chancellor of the exchequer. You know, what a waste. No, but we can actually know. I am here for your success. And you will find as you pour out your life for others, God will give to you. It's exactly the same with giving. How does it work? I've got this amount. And I need, I need that amount. How am I going to get it? God says, give. And we give ourselves. It is not exceptional in the sense we're not looking for exceptional people. We're just looking for examples. Mums and dads who love people, who will serve, give themselves for others. But there is a supernatural dynamic at work. Maybe it's natural, maybe it's supernatural, but this supernatural thing of as you give, you spend your life, you love and give. I believe God raises up others. If they know you, if you spent time with them. Because in the end, we're not passing on information. It isn't just information that's passed on. It is that. It is formation. It is forming people. So my my mum and dad have passed away now. But still it comes to mind, dad would have loved this. It's a situation he's never been in. But I just know something about, dad would have loved this. Oh, mum would have loved this. Dad dad wouldn't have liked this. (laughs) You know, those kind of things. How do we know those things? It's because we've spent time and things have passed on through time. You know my ways. And we think, is there anybody who knows your ways? Do you want anybody to know your ways? (laughs) That's where we start. Okay, I'm going to be a good father. I want people to know my ways. These things are not beyond us. We're not looking for superheroes. We're not looking for, you know, instructors around. We're looking for mums and dads in the church. And we honour those who are in the church. So, it is maturity we're after. It is maturity we're after. And we do that as we give our lives for our people. And believing that as we give... It's good to give, and as people see us enjoying it, they will join us in doing that. I'm going to finish there. I think time's come, and I really want to know what's happening in the cricket. (laughs) Graham. It'd be great to applaud these guys. I think that was very, very helpful. I think sometimes we do look at leaders and think, oh, we have to be this, we have to be that, we have to be super, super people. No, we have to be, as you've just described, Tim, and I think that's it's amazing. So thank you for coming, and uh, please encourage your trustees and directors to come tomorrow here, because we're going to talk about governance. Okay, have a lovely rest of the day. Thanks for coming.